Your poison shall soil this valley no longer! The cloaked figure moved through a crowd of armored green orcs, his blade clipping the ankles of the smallest marauder, longsword gleaming in fluid motion, the orc collapsing until the assailant lifted the blade down to stake the prone form to the soil. His brethren orcs had no time to react as a flood of arrows followed the figure, impaling each... <clears throat> Excuse me, can I help you kids? The store clerk said, watching four young adults swing their arms wildly about the store. In one sight, the man was a linen-bound merchant in some quaint tailor shop. In reality, he was just a moody kid with his first job in a mall store. Harabak was an immersive AR fantasy world inside a video game built after ancient tabletop dice games, and it conveniently masked all the hubris of mundanity. An app with over 300 million subscribers, though most people only ever played with close friends. Rhett stopped, cycling off the AR overlay to look at the clerk with reality, the worst filter of all. Oh god, I'm sorry. Hey guys, we're in a store. They all groaned and cycled off their overlays. Where'd we stumble now? Juniper looked up, lost and stumbling out of the dream of their fantasy app. Oh lordy, women's naughty bits? The clerk seemed patient with them, but as he tapped his dress shoe, it grew obvious he would not remain so for long. The store specialized in lingerie and nightwear coordination, where clerks helped design entire specialized wardrobe selections for all sorts of activities. Many naughty bits were on display, barely hidden beneath silk and mesh. In a world where products were easy to copy, taste and coordination became defined by lucrative reputations. Meeps grabbed Rhett and Juniper by their shirts, ushering them away from the door where their fourth friend, Rowan, waited. Even outside the vast plains of Harabak, Meeps never truly looked like the skinny kid underneath. Even outside the game, he remained Og-masked, with a cute super-avatar in the form of a deformed anthropomorphic zebra. The digital body remained far too small to see over store counters, but he had dedicated himself to the method acting of it. The zebra was not a cheap gimmick, it was his true self his call sign on every social account, and he'd even 3D printed somewhat socially unsettling prosthetics to dress up like a zebra at cons. Even among others in the community, the prosthetics were a little too uncanny valley for comfort. It was a fetish thing, and he was unabashedly proud. We're sorry for LARPing in your store, sir, Rowan said, still navigating through a dozen apps in her AR workspace. She barely looked anyone in the eyes, let alone the clerk. And tell the manager, these bits aren't naughty enough, you ask me. They made it back outside to soak in the fresh recycled air. Their fantasy app paused. How did we stumble in there? Shouldn't Navlarp have warned us? Juniper growled. We look like dorks. Super uber dorks. <laughs> we look like flailing dorks no matter where we play, Rhett laughed, patting him on the back. Meeps yipped like a lunatic and then caught up with them as they exited. Latest update has bugs, guys. Check it out. I'm reading the forum right now. Oh, and someone suggested we gotta keep with a set room. Wait, who did you ask? Rowan made eye contact with him briefly. Everyone on the live stream. What? Rowan panicked. Her face quickly shifted from human to the dancing form of some pink anime monster, masked by an expensive identipro that could stop any system from recording her face. It was state-of-the-art, but she'd gotten soft around them and forgotten to boot it up today. Rhett looked around at Meeps, a wash of betrayal crossed his lips. 
You live stream our sessions? Meeps shrugged. There's some lazy people at home who pay me to watch this. Perverts. Ugh. Rowan groaned. Meeps ate an ice cream he'd gotten off some automated cart. Hey, I got money. Let's go rent a room and continue our game session. I hate set rooms, Juniper said. Look at the vast freedom before us. We can climb the stairs to feel like we're scaling mountains. And that food court down there can be our village. And the Laser Tag Underground Club is but a treacherous dungeon. Come on, man. Have some heart. In a set room, we won't look like dorks, Meep said. Juniper rolled his eyes. We look like dorks anywhere we go. You're a zebra, dude. Meeps kicked his shin, but the Avatar's animation was so cute, Juniper took it in stride. Whole reason we come to this consumer nightmare is because we can wander around. Rhett pointed their eyes down the central opening of the Triple Pines, a nostalgia retro throwback mall. All the other buildings have weird gravity elevator things, or just boring elevators. We got stairs here, real stairs. A quality undeniable, my friend. Each section of the five-story complex was themed in a famous decade. They'd taken up in the 2050s, which had seen a resurgence of love for fantasy stories. The stores here were decked in fairies, dragons, and magical effects that made the AR overwhelming. Rowan called it immersion. So, food court? Rhett asked, walking backwards to look over them. He switched back to Harabak. Here, in their app, there was no boring mall. Instead, they walked a worn, muddy path through the north plains of the massive valley. Here, Rhett was not the scrawny, boring, routine, normal guy fresh into college. He was Agava of the Poison Vines. His pointed ears were marked with tattoos that bespoke his heritage. In this app, he was not the same as every other boring human. No, he was a proud purplet, a magical race of plant elves with long green grass for hair and soft purple skin highlighted by rough patches of worn green bark. Rhett had spent forever building the character model. Juniper hurried to get ahead of them, his avatar's hairy bulk thundering through the grass. Here in the fantasy app, drunk villagers in taverns chanted his name, Dream Snapper Chainjaw. Proud, stout, dwarf with green skin and tusks, mightiest was he, he who clenched massive ruined axes in each hand. Was he not nearly as tall as the flimsy purplet? And where the puny plant elf grew thin and hollow, a dwarf such as he only throbbed beneath sinewed muscles woven like rope. So much did Dreamsnappa's ego flare that he refused to wear a shirt, letting his braided beard cover what wasn't hidden beneath thick body hair. Juniper said, Rowan, get us lunch. What? Why can't you get it? Rowan answered. She'd not turned on her Harabak skin and remained a lanky, timid woman whose hair masked eyes from contact with anyone. Make the healer do it. Meeps was whispering to a video call, and he cycled back into Harabak, not changing his avatar other than dressing himself in a decorative outfit of feathers and beads. In the game, Meeps was, well, Meeps. He played their shaman Zebrome, a custom race he had hacked in with a packet splicer that the admins had simply given up trying to stop. Healer's busy on a call, Juniper said, looking around the food court. And I would go grab munchies, but I'm busy setting up a safety box in the big open area here. <sighs> I'll do it, Rhett grumbled, cycling out and dispelling his plant elf assassin avatar. The woman working the register had the app too, and she would make fun of his character again. 
He wasn't ready to die of embarrassment today. PM me your orders. Around the large open empty area between stores and tables, a digital red box painted itself in their vision. A safety box boundary. It was only AR illusion, one that flashed their vision red with a disclaimer if they crossed outside. Juniper pouted like a baby, which only made his fearsome dwarf avatar laughable. Hey, Rowan, get in the game, now, come on! Rowan sighed, clearing off all multitasking distractions in her workspace. There was paperwork, business messages, and that growing pile of unwritten material for episodic fiction. She muttered about it all under her breath and flipped Hera back, back on. This is Fractopia, forecasting the facts of tomorrow in the fiction of today. I'm your host, Todd Foley, and in today's episode, we'll be taking a look at augmented reality. An augmented reality can be understood as a digitally produced layer or display screen interposed by specialized hardware between you and the physical world. Objects in this display may appear to be floating in mid-air, as though printed on a sheet of glass, or realistically rendered in 3D to represent fictional objects sitting out there in the physical world. The potential of this emerging technology to enhance the ease and quality of life is enormous, and it will affect nearly everything in the coming informational age. Part one. Part one. What it is. What it is. What it is. What it is. According to Wikipedia, augmented reality, also known as mixed reality, is an interactive experience of a real-world environment whereby the objects that reside in the real world are augmented by computer-generated perceptual information, sometimes coming across through multiple sensory modalities, which may be visual, auditory, haptic somatosensory, or olfactory. Augmented reality, or AR, is an offshoot of work in virtual reality, or VR. The differences are here explained by Dr. Louis Rosenberg, one of the pioneers of this emerging technology. Virtual reality is uh, you know, basically this idea of creating uh, an immersive simulation where you feel present in a simulated environment, a virtual environment, and it's completely, it's completely artificial. Augmented reality is the idea that, that you, you can overlay a, a small bits of a virtual reality in t on top of your view of the real world. And so you could be, uh, seeing and hearing and experiencing the real world, but also have virtual objects be present in, in, that, in that real environment. And so for, for virtual reality, you just wear a headset and you're just seeing 
you're just seeing simulated things. For augmented reality, you need to be able to, to view, uh, you, people call it a, a transmissive display. You're, you're being able to see the real world, but also have simulated objects presented in, in your view of the real world. And so augmented reality is, is harder because uh, you need to be able to have the real world and the virtual world registered so that when you, you know, when you turn your head and there's a simulated object sitting on your desk, it's, it's still sitting on your desk, even though you moved your head in a different direction. And so, uh, but both technologies have made uh, a lot of strides over the last five years. Uh, and uh, I expect we'll continue to make a lot of strides over the next five years. The primary value of augmented reality is that it brings components of the digital world into your perception of the real world through the integration of immersive sensations or perceptions that are perceived as natural parts of the environment. The most common AR displays, of course, are visual. Typically, such a display provides ancillary data, menus, or clusters of related icons and images for you to activate or choose from. These semi-transparent images and interface elements hover on or around the person or object they are related to, usually linked by GPS locations, identifying RFID chips, or a dedicated piece of hardware. Glance at a person while wearing AR gear, and hovering above them you may see their name, their social network profile, their likes and dislikes, and any other publicly available data on that person. You might even see a friend button or other ways of interacting with that person or their content. Look at a building or a real estate parcel, and you might receive information on its history, owners, property value, utility use, or current residence. You might see ways of contacting these individuals, or the means of leaving a virtual message for them. On the job, your AR gear might be used to assist you in complex tasks, training, component placement, or physical diagnostics, all provided by remote personnel or AI computer systems. But augmented experiences can also come through different sensory modalities. For instance, as far back as the 2014 Augmented World Expo, David A. Smith of Lockheed Martin was exploring the concept of augmented conversation. This augmented conversation basically allows you and I to have a conversation with the computer as a full participant allowing us to explore ideas mutually. Augmented conversations can even meld auditory and visual modes together, allowing for new forms of remote collaboration. <clears throat> so, augmented conversations, a discussion within groups, like what I'm talking about here, I could mention uh, sort of a, an engineering uh, uh, design, and we could actually create that in front of us. Uh, you could reach in there and modify that dynamically. We could actually run it, there's an engine or something, run that as a simulation, explore what its uh, capabilities are, find out what its failure points are. But basically, what happens is this conversation is as easy to have and easy to uh, explore as it is to talk about the weather. The basic necessary ingredients for an AR system include a processor, some sort of display or sensory output, some form of input modality, whether it be verbal, gestural, or physical, and sensors, including anything from motion detectors and natural language parsers to cameras and GPS devices. 
In other words, AR systems can take many forms. The level of augmentation you experience is a combination of your hardware, your software, your location, and the presence of locally active digital systems and sensors. With the help of advanced AR technologies such as computer vision and object recognition, the information you receive about the surrounding real world becomes increasingly interactive and digitally manipulable. Part 2. Part two. How, we got here. How we got here. How we got here. How we got here. The earliest known mention of an augmented reality device, although it wasn't called that at the time, might be a device described by author L. Frank Baum in his 1901 illustrated novel The Master Key, an electrical fairy tale founded upon the mysteries of electricity and the optimism of its devotees. Quite a title. In the story, the main character encounters the Demon of Electricity, who bestows upon him a series of gifts, including something called the Character Marker. On the other hand, continued the demon, some people with fierce countenances are kindly by nature, and many who appear to be evil are in reality honorable and trustworthy. Therefore, that you may judge all your fellow creatures truly, and know upon whom to depend, I give you the character marker. It consists of this pair of spectacles. While you wear them, everyone you meet will be marked upon the forehead with a letter indicating his or her character. The good will bear the letter G, the evil the letter E. The wise will be marked with a W, the foolish with an F. The kind will show a K upon their foreheads, the cruel a letter C. Thus, you may determine by a single look the true natures of all those you encounter. Since then, many authors have implemented the concept of mixed reality in their fiction, although the phrase augmented reality was not used until 1990 when Boeing researcher Tom Caudell coined the term to describe a digital display used by aircraft electricians that blended virtual graphics onto a physical reality. The well-known heads-up display systems used in fighter jets since the 1950s may be considered an early form of practical AR technology. While these early systems did superimpose data onto the user's visual field, their displays were not context-sensitive or location-aware. In 1968, Ivan Sutherland, widely regarded as the father of computer graphics, invented the first head-mounted computer graphic display for Sketchpad, a software system which itself was the world's first graphical user interface. This, too, was an early form of augmented reality, although it was constrained to the drawing pad upon which the operator could interact with the machine. The first truly context-sensitive AR system was developed in 1992 at the U.S. Air Force's Armstrong Laboratory by Dr. Louis Rosenberg, who explained AR versus VR earlier in this podcast. The Virtual Fixtures System, as it was called, consisted of a full upper-body exoskeleton which controlled a specialized robot, and visual data from the perspective of the robot were fed into the head-mounted stereoscopic display. 
Using this system, the user's view of the robot arms appeared in the exact location of their real physical arms in real time. The system also employed computer-generated virtual overlays in the form of simulated barriers, fields, and guides, which assisted the user while driving the robot to perform physical tasks. Since the 1990s, AR technology has accelerated by leaps and bounds thanks to advances in both hardware and software. Recent software developments include augmented overlay displays, like those of Pokemon Go and other mobile games, to live filters in smartphones, such as those used by Snapchat and Instagram. AR headgear has also enjoyed a resurgence since the days of the infamous Google Glass, including systems often used in games and virtual environments, such as Vive, Oculus Rift, HoloLens, and most recently, Magic Leap. Today, AR applications are making their way into all industries and walks of life, from gaming and location-based entertainment to industrial manufacturing, emergency response, and healthcare. The head of emerging technologies at Lockheed Martin, Shelley Peterson, recently gave an interview to Technology Review, in which she explained how Lockheed engineers are using AR systems to help NASA design the next generation of spacecraft. The systems used at Lockheed superimpose plans and fabrication data onto the real-world components being worked on, allowing operators on the factory floor to increase the speed and efficiency of construction while reducing costly errors and accidents. If you were to look five years down the road, she said, I don't think you'll find an efficient manufacturing operation that doesn't have this type of augmented reality to assist the operators. Part 3 Part three. Breaking, it Part down. Breaking it down. Breaking it down. Breaking it down. At the F8 Developers Conference in 2017, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg explained three main use cases for AR as he sees it: displays, objects, and enhancements. Now, when we talk about augmented reality, there are three important use cases uh, that we think about: the ability to dis display information, uh, like directions or messages or notifications, uh, the ability to add digital objects, like the chessboard or the TV screen I was talking about, and the ability to enhance existing objects, like uh, your home or your face. Now, I used to think that glasses were going to be the first mainstream augmented reality platform, and that we'd get them you know, maybe five or ten years from now, we'd get the form factor that we all want. But over the last couple of years, we've started to see primitive versions of each of these use cases on our phones and cameras. So for displaying information, uh, we've all seen people take photos and write text on them or circle things or draw arrows to highlight information. For digital objects, we have games like Pokemon where uh, you can overlay a digital Pokemon on top of the real world in front of you. And for enhancements, we have things like face filters and style transfers to make our images and videos more fun. Data displays are read-only interfaces hovering near or in front of objects they refer to. 
They provide information on a person, place, or thing. Examples include pop-up historical info panels for buildings and locations, ingredient listings for food products, or the hovering social network data that might appear beside a person you're looking at. An auditory data display might consist of sound effects that are perceived whenever the triggering event occurs, like the voice of a helpful digital assistant or an alarm bell that only augmented users can hear. AR objects, like glowing arrows that surreptitiously point you toward the nearest restroom, or the little alien beings in Pokemon Go, are spatially logical visual elements that appear to be situated in the physical world when viewed through an AR device. They may represent inanimate objects or live characters inserted into your view of the world. Here's Mark Zuckerberg again, talking about some of the things we'll be able to do with these AR objects. Now, one of the things that I've always wanted to do is, um, is leave notes for friends at different places. And in order to do this, you need to have a really precise sense of location. So this isn't just about you know, finding a Pokemon within a one-block radius. Um, you need a very exact location. Um, so I'm talking about sharing a note to tell your friend what the best special is right next to the sign of the specials at a restaurant. Or, or marking your table at the local dive bar that you go to uh, with your friends. Or, uh, leaving a note for your, your wife on the refrigerator. And so some of the stuff I think is going to be is going to be really special. Some AR elements may be realistically rendered, capable of fooling the eye into mistaking them for actual terrain. Virtual doors modeled over real doors, streets over real streets, etc. These are enhancements or facades, holographic false fronts, which conceal or alter the physical appearance of a person, place, or thing. Large facades might alter the appearance of a corporate headquarters or an amusement park attraction. Holotars, holographic avatars, would be an example of personal facades viewable by anyone with AR gear. Soon enough, holographic projections will become capable of responding to tactile and gestural interaction, and a fourth class of AR element will be added to the list, the ARGUI. ARGUIs, like physical GUIs, provide interactive surfaces for the user to control various sorts of processes, including searches, queries, machine controls, and virtual game elements. These might range from simple on-off buttons, like elevator control systems, to fully holographic computer interfaces, like those seen in Minority Report and Iron Man. It's coming sooner than you might think. Part four. Part four. Where it's going. Where it's going. Where it's going. Where it's going. I mentioned that we currently use our mobile phone as this window through into the augmented world, but we don't just want to look through the window. We want to step through, and in order to do this, we'll need to have a head-mounted display, a headset, something which takes up our entire field of view. Now, while we do have headsets out there that um, are incredibly amazing, such as the Microsoft HoloLens and the Meta Glass it still feels like we're in the early days of augmented reality, similar to the early days of mobile, where people had to carry around these heavy, bulky devices. So we need something which is lightweight. We need something which is comfortable. We need something which is portable for us to wear all day long. In addition to being portable, these devices also need to be sociable. Now, the rise of social media platforms like 
Facebook and Twitter have shown us not only how important uh, being sociable is to us, but also how technology can help bring us together. That's interactive imagery specialist Edward Miller speaking at a TEDx conference in 2017. He's talking about the development of comfortable, lightweight hardware and sociable software, enabling multiple users to interact and share augmented experiences no matter where they are. These devices are starting to come out today, and they'll be rolling out over the next few years in ever greater numbers and varieties, fusing real-world social interaction with digital connectivity, applications, and games. Currently available AR hardware systems are still fairly clunky, but they're getting better every year and are finally beginning to reach a price point where they'll be affordable to the average person. As the comfort level increases and costs come down, we'll enter a new paradigm, a world of augmented reality everywhere, and eventually it will become difficult for many people to imagine life without AR. Once these barriers are crossed, it's a whole new ball game. None of this technology is useful without content which makes it compelling. Now, the majority of past AR applications have relied on overlaying 2D content like photos and videos onto the 3D world, but that seems a little bit backwards. Unfortunately, it's because up until this point, we simply haven't had the tools necessary to create 3D content easily. But thanks to virtual reality devices such as the Oculus Rift and HTC Vive, we're about to go through a revolution in 3D content creation. Applications like Google's Tilt Brush allow us to pick, on, pick up a virtual reality headset and draw, sculpt, and paint in three-dimensional space with the same ease of using a pen and paper. Now, if you're an artist, if you're an architect, if you're a dress designer, this is going to radically change not only the way that you create content, but the way that you work. Today, augmented content may be displayed via computer monitors, phones, PDAs, or pads, or specialized glasses like Google Glass. But soon enough, AR will become accessible via a wide variety of goggles, helmets, transparent tablets, smart glass surfaces, holographic displays, retinal projections, or entoptic contact lenses, and haptic feedback units will allow for the transmission of tactile sensations. Holographic displays are already coming onto the market through products such as the Microsoft HoloLens, and entoptic contact lenses are now being developed by a number of major international corporations, including Google, Sony, and Samsung. As these technologies are combined into a single system, we will enter a world of mixed reality that actually behaves much like physical reality, as explained here by interactive engineer and HoloLens chief Alex Kipman. Holograms are examples of a machine interacting with an environment from an output perspective. Finally, as a machine, I could exchange energy with the world via haptics. Now imagine being able to feel the temperature of a virtual object, or better yet, imagine pushing a hologram and having it push you back with equal force. So what sort of applications can we expect to see converging with augmented reality in the near future of both science fiction and science fact? The answers are numerous, including everything from security and warfare to the Internet of Things, artificial intelligence, and even 3D printing. 
On the battlefield, soldiers will be equipped with augmented displays enabling them to track friendly forces, enemy movement, logistical support, and potential targets, all without ever looking away from the hazardous duties they already perform. The data feeding into these systems will come from a combination of remote data centers, networked field headquarters, ground-based sensors, and drone-based surveillance operations. In the area of security and law enforcement, officers and security personnel will use augmented displays to receive up-to-the-minute data on local conditions and fellow officers within their assigned jurisdictions. Police AR gear will be networked with local data centers and courts, allowing officers to pull up information on everything from outstanding warrants and incoming crime reports to the registration of weapons and vehicles. Facial recognition and AR display systems will allow officers in the field to identify and perform background checks on potential suspects as soon as they are observed and apprehended. In the Internet of Things, the first industries to take to AR will be those who are already starting to lead the way, and these include the fields of manufacturing, factory floor workers, machinists, architects, and industrial designers. In the future, and beginning already today, the work of designers and engineers will be augmented by visual displays and virtual modeling allowing companies to produce better quality products at reduced costs and with fewer errors. Executives and consultants will share 3D displays in networked meetings, even when physically located thousands of miles apart. Architects will project 3D simulations of interior and exterior spaces for their clients without the need for building physical models. Technicians on factory floors will use augmented displays to guide their labor, organize their workflow, monitor their inventory, measure their output, and consult with AIs or remote humans for training and quality assurance. Even complex jobs like rocket engine assembly can be brought down to a low-skilled level via the implementation of augmented tutorials, design plans, and task displays. On the consumer side of the IoT, your AR tablet or headgear will enable you to look up pertinent information on people, places, or things without removing you from the physical experience of being there. Just as people today rush out to Google to check their facts before entering an online discussion, people of tomorrow will be able to pull up all manner of information for any situation they happen to find themselves in, whether at work, at play, or simply walking around in the world. If advocates are right, this will elevate the level of discussion in public interaction, like having the world's biggest encyclopedia whispering in your earbuds. As artificial intelligence becomes more fluent in natural languages and more able to keep up with a wider range of work-related tasks, dedicated AIs will also be able to guide the AR experience, making your apps and tools adaptive and responsive, context-aware, voice-activated, and personable. Rather than being replaced by robots, workers in many fields may be augmented by visual display devices which themselves are controlled by specialized AI systems. These hybrid AI-AR systems will be natural complements to skilled human laborers, increasing productivity and enabling a more adaptive workforce. In smaller shops, where 3D printers come into use for fabrication, designs will be modeled and tested in virtual form before literally being built. This will drastically reduce the amount of time required for the design and manufacturing of everything from toys to clothing, allowing designers and fabricators to create products which are more durable, more flexible, more reliable, customizable, and cheaper to build. 
By working in virtual 3D spaces and using augmented displays, designers from different companies or in widely separated locations can collaborate in developing the most efficient plans for new products, or interact directly with virtual 3D models that exist only in a virtual space. These products can even be market-tested in virtuality before being physically manufactured and released into the real world. And this doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of the applications that will be available to end users. Out in the real world, your AR display will be able to direct you where you want to go, find a nearby parking space, determine the shortest route between two points, draw your attention to nearby landmarks, locate public services or product vendors nearest to your location, look up publicly available data on anyone you meet, any place you visit, or any company you're considering doing business with. It might track the location of friends or food orders, display your reflection wearing virtually projected clothing or makeup before making a purchase, leave notes which can only be seen by your co-workers or members of your social network, provide you with a virtual pet or digital assistant who accompanies you everywhere you go, or even cover the whole world in a themed layer of visual objects and data pertinent to your occupation or interests. It probably goes without saying that two of the industries that will be most strongly affected by the widespread use of AR will be gaming and entertainment. Today's massively multiplayer online worlds are immersive and some are effectively infinite, but most still require players to remain in one location, getting little or no exercise, viewing the virtual world through a tiny window, and simulating movement with a mouse, joystick, or controller. But as games like Ingress and Pokemon Go have already demonstrated, there's no reason to expect gamers to remain sedentary while pursuing their in-game goals. Likewise, there's no reason to assume that fictional stories or worlds must be presented in two-dimensional images or even linear forms. Through AR, virtual settings, characters, and objects can be scattered throughout the real world, even occluding or masking it with facades and 3D renderings, ostensibly turning the entire world into a playing field, a game level, or an interactive movie. It's possible to imagine areas where game software will be prohibited for safety reasons, and equally possible to imagine location-based environments designed specifically for the enjoyment of certain games or augmented experiences. Role-playing games and mystery scenarios may take place across whole cities, First-person shooters and sports simulations can take place in wide-open spaces such as public parks. Strategic board games can be played across miles of distance by anyone with the right software to project the display in the air before them, and theme park attractions will add whole new layers of augmented details and virtual characters, making the experience more immersive and interactive than ever imagined. The implications are vast, and the results will blur the lines between reality and fantasy like never before. That's the future envisioned by Philip Lilliveld of the USC Entertainment Technology Center. It's potentially changing the way we interact with content and we have immersive experiences because if you take AR and VR, 
which are creating these artificial constructs around you, throw in the Internet of Things, which is giving data about the world around you, which can impact your experience, and add on to that the rapidly evolving field of artificial intelligence and avatars, where you can now have a virtual or a robot avatar that knows you, that responds to you, that you can talk to in real language because artificial general intelligence is becoming a real thing, then we greatly expand what entertainment and life means. Part five. Part five. Multiple worlds. Multiple worlds. Multiple worlds. Just as today's digital ecosphere consists of thousands of individual apps and games and interfaces, the augmented world will present users with thousands of options for what information they choose to see, and thus thousands of different ways to view the world. It's probably realistic to consider that each AR application will present its data in a single ARL or augmented reality layer, which can be toggled on or off at any time. The total output of all active AR layers in your display at any moment will comprise your overall ARE, or augmented reality environment. Let's consider a quick rundown of potential apps. At any given moment, your display might potentially include priority notifications, ambient marketing, game data, job data, social data, and location-based data. Let's break it down. Priority notifications might include proximity elements, crime or police action alerts, pollution or allergen alerts, emergency alerts, and network status alerts. These would pop up in your field of view or alert you via audio at unexpected moments. Ambient marketing and commercials based on your location, vendor agreements, purchase history, and privacy settings may be random or location-based tied to a nearby shop or advertisement, or they may be triggered by something you do, or even by other purchases you've made. Game data, each game with its own objects, characters, interfaces, and facades for locations, items, and players, will happen while you're actively playing a game, or entering a game-designated play space, or when you've been away from a gaming account long enough to trigger a notification. Job data may include want ads, orders, deliverables, schedules, instructions, or tutorials. These may be triggered while you're on the job, or when you've flagged yourself as available for potential gig notifications. Social data may appear on potentially everyone in your visual field or proximity, including demographic data, reputation data, social network connections, and market profiles. This information can be viewed by intentionally scanning anyone nearby or by perusing their online profiles. Location-based data may appear on buildings, sites, services, and commercial enterprises in your vicinity, and lines or arrows indicating the route from one place to another may appear within your visual field. These may be called up at will by intentionally scanning your surroundings, or by making a navigational request, or by interacting with control surfaces such as consoles, plaques, or QR codes. Some of this data will be viewable by everyone, such as public information provided by the city or advertisements that are displayed to anyone within range, while some of it will be shown to only specific people, such as data related to the game you're playing or information related to the performance of your job. 
It's clear that nobody will want to run all of their AR apps at once, because the amount of information presented would lead to a jumbled and illegible mass of overlapping data, occluding the real world and making you effectively useless. It may be that your personal digital assistant filters this data for you, deciding what you need to see and when, or auditory notifications may be used to inform you of the availability of new visual data. Those questions remain to be resolved. But however this mass of augmented data is managed, it's clear that differences in apps, preferences, and platforms will lead inevitably and frequently to two people standing side by side who are subjectively perceiving two completely different worlds. And of course, as philosophers and phenomenologists have often pointed out, perception creates reality. And so the question is this, when we all walk around viewing such vastly different realities at all times, will we be able to say anymore that we all live in the same world? Thank you for listening to this episode of Fractopia. I'm your host, Todd Foley, reminding you to comment, like, subscribe, and share, as feeding those important algorithms will help bring the show to a broader audience of futurists and fictioneers. If you're feeling especially warm and fuzzy, please feel free to show your support by dropping a one-time donation at thisisfractopia.com or joining my Patreon at patreon.com slash Fractopia. Patrons get special perks like subscriber-only videos and long-form interviews, glimpses behind the scenes, topical polls and surveys, and invitations to participate in subscriber-only events online. If you have any ideas, suggestions, or questions, or if you're a writer of near-future fiction and would like to see your work featured in this podcast or on the website at thisisfractopia.com, please feel free to comment below or contact me via the channel of your choice. I'm always interested in conversations on these topics, and I enjoy promoting work that gives people more to think about when it comes to the foreseeable future. As always, sources and links for further reading can be found in the show notes below.